The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the support of New Gen Audio with Mike Thornton, Julian Rogers, and Dan Cooper. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast number 365. It's April the 15th, 2019. I'm Mike Thornton. I'm Dan Cooper. And I'm Julian Rogers. Well, our podcast sponsors are New Gen Audio, who provide advanced audio solutions for both post-production and broadcast, including upmixing, loudness management, metering, and correction. And this week, we're going to talk about their ISL STER, or short for stereo, their stereo version of their intersample limiter. Because whilst traditional approaches to limiting can tr- normally basically sit on the sample peaks so that's they look at the samples 44.1 thousand every second or 192,000 every second um but the issue happens what happens to the audio in between those samples and the ISL is a intersample limiter so it's it's analyzing what probably happened between the samples because you can only guess because the information wasn't captured uh, with something like oversampling um, and so ISL stereo ISL st- the stereo version of ISL also limits these intersample peaks on your audio ensuring you have a true brick wall solution to limiting And this is really important because both in music and post, we are now working very close to digital headroom. And by using true peak limiting, we no longer have to second guess the peaks on the the audio or deliberately sort of increase the headroom to make sure that just in case nothing happens problematically downstream. So ISL Stereo provides the means to fully utilize your dynamic range and avoid unexpected clipping upon playback through today's digital streaming services. So you can insert the stereo ISL on your master bus to eliminate the risk of distortion from downstream codec conversion because one of the problems is that codecs like MP3 and AAC can distort. So it's perfectly clean going in but what comes out can be distorted and normally what we've tended to do is just under send less level to the codec to make sure but now you can actually make sure for sure that you're not going to uh, distort the audio coming out of a codec and you can learn more about new gen audio by clicking the link in the podcast article or going to newgenaudio.com slash expert dan some deals Deals, yes, there are some great deals over on our partner deals page, including great deals from Isotope, Krosos, NuGen Audio, of course, Avid, and FabFilter. Now, just going to point this out FabFilter are celebrating 15 years in the business. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, they're celebrating by offering up to 40% off all their plugins. Which really, yes, because they're not a brand that normally discounts that much. No, they may do a deal once or twice a year, and that's, uh, well, I know they do one a year, but yeah, this 40% off, not bad at all. So yeah, for all those deals, do click the link in the podcast notes. Okay, let's move on to talking points. And these are sponsored by Universal Audio. Thanks, Fab. Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast talking points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. 
Throughout the month of April 2019, our friends at Universal Audio are offering a massive 50% off a range of analogue classics in their Classics Remodeled promotion. Save up to 50% off the Pultec Passive EQ collection, the 1176 Classic Limiter collection, or the Fairchild Tube Limiter collection, and plenty more. For more information, see the link in the podcast notes. Okay, first talking point, we're going to talk about the uh, whole area of monitor isolation. And by what by that, what we mean is speakers, do you sit them on bits of foam, on these pucks, on these special uh, ISO uh, stands, or do you have these uh, sharp pointy things? What do you sit your monitors on in terms of between that and whatever it is you plonk them on? So whether it's a stand, uh, a metal sand-filled stand to the floor, or piles of bricks, or whatever, what do we actually use for monitor isolation if we use anything at all um down where do you sit on this one um a couple of uh solutions shall we say so as you guys know and anyone that watches the videos that i'm in that i film in my studio my adams are on uh monitor stands um in the house in my wife's studio we've got one of those really nice um uh pre pre fab um, studio desk things it has like a shelf above the the rack unit things and uh i've got her some of those little puck things uh that go under her adams and i, th- I think they work quite nice actually um before years ago i used to stick my monitors on top of the desk straight up and yeah everything would get a bit vibracy and things like that so i i believe in this um uh, decoupling of monitors i think it's quite important uh it's it's i don't know how important it's a difficult thing to test we'll talk about that i think later in this discussion but that's what i use julian what, what do you do in your studio <laughs> oh i i've got a pair of proper stands proper height stands because that's that's the tricky bit actually um there's there's not enough out there i saw i saw a pair of adjustable height stands that i've not seen before actually on uh twitter possibly and I spent so long trying to zoom in, trying to find out what on earth they were and doing doing image searches and all sorts, but no idea. But um, no, I've got some fixed height stands, uh, Atacamas. Um, and what, I, what I've got is I've got a couple of pieces of high-density sort of closed-cell foam that happen to be exactly the same size as the, uh, as the, as the bit on top of the stand. But honestly, they're there more to protect the underside of my monitors from being scratched by the top of the stands than anything else. Um, I, d- I don't know. I really don't know. I, I get it. I understand the idea that if you've got a reciprocating mass, then, you know, Newton says for every motion, you know, the, the um, laws of motion, all that stuff, and it's going to push and move your uh, your speaker cabinet backwards and forwards to some degree, and and that's going to take away from these things. And then you've got the transmission uh, between the cabinet of the of the monitor and the rest of the environment, and those vibrations can do bad things. And I mean, th- I suppose there's two schools of thought here, isn't there? Either you let it float freely and isolate it by mounting it on some appropriately spongy material so that the speaker can move around, but we don't worry about that too much. But at least that vibration is only within the speaker and not doing anything else. Or you lock it down really, really hard to something incredibly sturdy so that it can't move anything because everything's so solid. Would you agree they're the two approaches? Mm, yeah. I mean, and one's a lot easier to achieve than the other, 
because I mean, I, I mean, I've seen like block work speaker stands and things, and not really heavy duty, you know, solid steel, you know, really, really thick, you know, kind of hundred kilo speaker stands and stuff before. Great if you can do it. Um, there are some other approaches, though. I mean, these these pucks you're talking about are they like they're sort of spongy, rubbery material, aren't they? They're all different shapes and sizes, and uh, yeah, but they're materials. not rigid, are they? These ones are sort of, um, the, the, well, the, but they're, they're the intended sandwich. to do yeah. some form of isolation, yes. vibration isolation. Well, yeah, because so there's a sandwich of rubber in, but in between. But what they're them. not is they're not trying to do the same thing as as like speaker stand spikes or something like that, are they? No. Because that's the other way of doing things, and yes, minimal the physics of contact. that has always, has always contact, slightly yeah. confused me. It's about concentrating the pressure to a point where you can't transmit because it's all too small. And is that right? I, I've always been slightly confused about the physics behind this, but it's an idea that's been around an I awfully think this long is, time. Th- this is why we're talking about it because I'm confused, full stop, about all this stuff. Because as Mike mentioned earlier, and I, I think I said as well, we can't A/B test this stuff. We really have to trust. Um, the people, the manufacturers that make this stuff, that we're actually going to buy something that works. I mean, how do we AB this stuff? But, but I mean, if you're talking about um, trying to give them a firm foundation, shall we say, um, my problem is that I, my studio is on a floating floor, as in I, I've made a, a, an isolation. So I've got isolation between the floor that I'm sat on and everything in the room is sat on including all my studio furniture and the floor underneath. But this is a first floor room with uh, timber beams, uh, timber floorboards that the floating floor is then stood on. So effectively, if you're going for that true uh, mass, I'm not going to allow the monitor to rattle things. Um, that's going to – why Why would I try to, to, do, to make that sort of heavy connection? You say the speaker stands filled with sand or whatever it is to, to increase the mass of the stand to effectively stop the sound from uh, – stop the vibrations because that's what you're doing with mass. I mean, that's the whole point of, of isolation in a studio where you use, you know, high-density concrete blocks or brickwork or everything. What you're trying to do is to create a, a thing that can't be vibrated because it's so heavy it won't move. Um, so you've got, as you say, Julian, you've got that at the one extreme, and the other extreme is you, are try, you try to effectively – get a situation where the the speakers are if you could levitate the speakers with magnetism so they sort of suspended without any connection that seems to be the other way of trying to do it so these sorts of pucks that you're talking about Dan Ah. or these little isoacoustics stands I mean I looked at getting those a while back when I was looking at new monitors because the monitors I was actually looking at were effectively bookshelf i mean i was looking at um dyno audio bm um bm5 mark 3s or the new little air uh, speakers at the time and i needed essentially to raise them up so that they would the tweeters would be in line with my ears um, as it happened, uh, I got a, an offer of some secondhand pmc lb1s and uh, they are perfect because they sit on the top of my furniture. Um, I've got 6U of rack in front of me, 8U of rack in front of me, above my normal desk, as it were, where my, my keyboard and everything is on. And then the speakers are simply sat on that top 
shelf um, with the centre speaker on its own little tower so that the centre speaker pokes well, he's, he's basically just above my screens because of course I've got a 5-1 system one of the problems you get when you're doing a 5-1 system is is when you've got monitor screens for your computer etc where do you put the centre speaker you know if you want the screens to you've got two screens like I've got you want to butt them up together that's exactly where you would normally put the um, the monitor speaker so my solution was because I could just about make it work is to have that center speaker just above them and still the, the tweeters are almost in line um so it's it's kind of worked out but in reality in terms of monitor isolation my answer is i ain't done anything mm -hmm. part of that i think is is how do we know yeah because the, they're almost contradictory opinions uh, science perhaps um about whether you should be coupling them to the floor and to the building or isolating them from the building yeah. but, but they but they're both they're both different ways of achieving the same thing which is to 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 minimize the effect of the vibration going into the thing that it's that's next that's next to the speaker yeah. if you like that's no, in that's contact with the speaker that's i've got i've got a thought it. on this and this is something i'm really annoyed that i never tried when uh, when i i used to teach because um we can't A-B this stuff easily at all. Um, I mean, if I, if I happen to have two pairs of identical speakers and speaker stands and I set one up without isolation and one with, uh, with one with foam and one without, for example, um, they're going to be in different places and that's going to make more difference than than the isolation will, I'm, I'm sure. So, you know, something I wish I'd done <laughs> because what you need for this is people <laughs> and that's something I, I, I rarely have many of in, in my... Or very controlled conditions. So you could have a, a, a very controlled environment, say an anechoic chamber, and put the speaker on yeah, 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 sure. one thing and then swap it out yeah, and and because can, everything and else is... And do it properly like an Yeah, engineer. everything else is consistent. Yeah, yeah. But no, for, no, no. For mere mortals, that's not an option. It's not an option. If I had plenty of people here, what I'd do is I'd say, okay, two people stand behind my monitors, I'll play some stuff, and then I want you to just lift them half an inch off the monitor. And I think somebody holding a speaker up is effectively... Free floating in air. I I can't do that. Right? Yeah, I hold it bloody still. But I've I've really missed an opportunity. And next time I've got two other people in the studio, I'm going to try that to find out. It's only just occurred to me. You said yeah. something that that set me off thinking about something, Mike. You, you you were saying about why can't you have levitating speakers? And I thought, well, you could with maglev. So I just googled maglev's <laughs> floating speaker, and they do exist, but they're toys. They're most of them are in right. the shape of the Death Star, and they're tiny little tiny little things but i don't see any reason at all why if someone wanted to go really over the top and hey in mm. hi-fi especially people go really over the top well you know you were talking about adjustable speaker stands yeah. i mean from the floor upwards yeah. well I, again i've done a bit of googling and there's this zaror z-a-o-r iso stands where you seem to be able to pull them up and put a peg in um and then they appear to have the isoacoustics uh, isolation little stands on the top for the for the isolation mm. bit. Mm. So yes, they make another, very nice stuff. That the, company. There's uh, another thing that I want to get onto on the on on this stuff, which is um, the thing that I've seen that I've gone, I've I've heard lots of positive things about. I've never been anywhere near them, and I couldn't comment one way or the other. But but, but people who hopefully are being reasonably objective are. Um, China cones, have you seen these? These little ceramic cone-shaped things that you put underneath the speaker. And they give... Uh, I think it's it's 
probably kind of uh, having something extremely hard with a very small point. So there's very minimal contact in terms of surface area between the bottom of the of the monitor and the surface on which it's sitting. And these, um, I've, I've heard a few people say, they're really good, they're amazing, they really make a difference. Couldn't comment, haven't heard them. But, oh, they're expensive for what is basically just some little china cones. I know a ceramicist. I'll see if I can get her to make me some. I, what I don't see is, is a cone solution that much around the sort of pro audio side of things. Uh, you see it in hi-fi world, which I find curious because if if it has some serious merit um as pros we ought to be using it or is it just me that's not seeing such things well, i mean i don't know i mean I, there's the thing with i mean speaker stand spikes it, it's it's kind of an awful lot of it's about whether you're on carpet or not mm. and this kind of practical point but i'm i'm sure there's i'm sure if you put um if you concentrate and have a very minimal point of contact between uh, between you know what you're trying to isolate and a su- solid surface, then yeah. that minimises transmission. And I've always been slightly confused about why that should be the case, but I'm I'm, I'm sure that's right. And if I'm wrong, then I'm sure somebody will, will straighten me out on that. But that has to be how these China cones work if they work. But you know, I mean, it's they, they seem to be doing reasonably well. And uh, and like I say, they're not they're not cheap items. You know, they're not an impulse buy kind of money. And uh, enough people who should know what they're talking about seem to be you know giving them a, a good go. So there may well be something to it. All right. Well, none of these products are particularly cheap. I'm, I'm just having a quick look on Sweetwater here. I'm not going to name. Well, China Cones. Um, there is actually a brand called China Cones. That's them. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I've just done a Google search. The first one came up is a pro audio supplier KMR here in the UK, at ninety nine quid for a set of six, by the looks of it. Um, so presumably three for each. Uh, of your stereo oh, presumably speakers. you'd need you'd need you, you couldn't use four because you couldn't guarantee contact. Same yeah, as a no, three three legged stool. Three legged stool thing. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. It is. Okay. Um, okay. Actually, they're less expensive than I thought, but that's still that's still not kind of like you know, plectrum money. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm still back a few points of how do we know that these things work? There's no way that we can test this stuff in our studio. Um, if I were to I don't know, let's go to my wife's studio and put these pucks in where they're already there. And I listen to a couple of songs that I know really well. I then want to listen to those songs again, but I take the pucks out and put the monitors back as, you know, um, in position where they were, but obviously down an inch or so. And then I've got to listen again. But in between that, that little setup um, is about 30 seconds. I probably already forgot what that mix sounded like, all those mixes. Mm. Okay. Well, you can't, you, can't, you certainly can't, can't do a... a, a um, AB. You can't AB. It's an A no, and a, a give memory. It seconds and a B. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think, I mean, I, I think I'm going to have to try this and I can see a way to simplify this. I'm just going to do it in mono and I'm going to move my monitors next to each other as physically as close as I can Do and just take the piece of foam out from underneath on one of them and I'll just do it using panning. And, you know, if that doesn't tell me something, I mean, I, I'm really hoping that the difference is going to be related to uh, related to the bottom end because if, we, if we're talking about vibrational stuff, then it's going to be the bass driver moving that makes a difference. Mm. If someone's trying mm. to tell me that, mm. that uh, you know, vanishingly light um, tweeter cones making a difference, then I'm going to struggle with that. But, you know, uh, 
uh, no, I think six you're or right. eight inch base driver. To be so the yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can rig this up so that it's so that um so that I can do some kind of meaningful comparison because yeah, I was possibly making it too complicated, but possibly all work because we're assuming we had to have stereo and we don't. Right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Well, then you're getting rid of any stereo, you know, any issues about the you know the room or anything because essentially you're just seeing with a single point source, which mm. is always a little bit more consistent and reliable. Um, but it, I think this is definitely one we need to go and take a a, a, a more measured, uh, both metaphorically and literally, um, look at, look at some of the science behind it, uh, try and do some tests and um, report back. And I'll tell you yeah. what, Mike, if I do my mono test and I come back saying that the imaging was improved, you can call me out. <laughs> <laughs> But we yeah. want to hear from you guys in the community as well. Yeah, what do you uh, use? Absolutely. What Where do you stand use? on this one? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, more for, more homework for us, and uh, please do share your thoughts on this in the comments section of the podcast article. So, at second talking point, I wanted just to take a look at the results of our um sample rate poll uh, we uh, asked um, for you to actually say which sample rates you mainly record at uh, and uh, there's no doubt that essentially effectively around 80% of us whether we are professionals or hobbyists around 80% of us use 44.1 or 48k Um and then the uh, it's sixteen percent um, for eighty two stroke eighty eight point two stroke ninety six k, and then around four percent for above you know, 90, above those, i.e., probably one nine two in reality. Um, and so it does seem that essentially uh, four out of five of us uh, are not uh, that bothered about working at higher sample rates. Did that uh, result surprise anybody? No, if I'm honest. <laughs> yes and yes and no. Actually, I I would expected um I'd I'd have expected there'd be more working at forty four one forty eight, but I would have expected more than however many percent it was, kind of you know fifteen or something uh, percent to be working at um uh, at ninety six. Mm. Kind of, you hear that a lot. Um, I mean, I, I, I wonder whether there's a um, uh, whether there's a geographic element to this because it's something I associate with conversations I've had um, in the states more than I do in Europe about ninety six. Ninety six seems to be kind of like a bit of a thing. Also, do, I mean, considering the criticism that gets levelled at gear that doesn't work at high sample rates. Yes, that was very interesting because the <laughs> because the new Presonus um, uh, digital desk got came in for some right stick about the fact that it didn't support ninety six k, and yet most of us, are mm. based on this poll, and it's it's twelve hundred and fifty one people who answered the poll, so again, it's statistically solid. Um, Four out of five of us aren't using and the anything thing, above. And the thing about that this is, is uh, what I took from this was that it was people talking about use for live, and mm. I've done plenty of live work, and I'm. it's not an environment in which I'm going to worry about high sample rates. If I'm not worried about it in the studio, I'm definitely not worried about it live. No. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't use it if it's there, but 
it's kind of like, you know, I mean, a, a, a compression driver is giving up the ghost at 16K. So, you know what I mean? It's like, mind you, most people at gigs are giving up at 16K as well. So <laughs> there is that as well. Yeah. And those of us that are a little older, it's um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I said moving on. No, no, it won't be that. Pardon? So, so um, but absolutely with this, I had a thought about this. I mean, this is kind of a conversation that we've had before, but something that I haven't really thought about is there does seem to be two schools of thought and we've kind of covered things like uh, pl- some plugins or, I mean, some people say all plugins, but definitely some plugins seem to work better. Dan, you've spoken about the Melodyne, the improvements you've yes. heard using Melodyne at high sample rates. Other people are going, no, no, it's absolutely fine. And I'm thinking, actually, is there a an element of kind of difference of opinion here because some people record and don't do a great deal to what they've recorded and just mix it and put it out you know i mean i mean hmm. by mixing you know some not a huge together, amount of processing whereas other people are really changing what they've recorded and manipulating the sound using plugins and those people might well be hearing an advantage of working at high sample rates that someone who just records something puts a little bit of EQ and compression across it and puts some reverb across it. Yeah, sure, you know. If you're recording a performance and a largely acoustic, um, uh, with, with with an acoustic element, and I mean, that could involve electric instruments, but you know what I mean, mm. compared to, for example, you know, heavy auto-tune and putting beats around and doing things, a lot more modern production process, then... You're not really comparing like with like, so well, I just wonder if that's something. No, that's- I mean it, 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 it's also interesting that you know people like um, Audrey, who's doing you know high end acoustic music, doesn't feel the need to up the sample rate. Um, and it, I, I was sort of having sort of various conversations about this whole issue, and, and something that struck me as a follow up is. Especially when you sort of you know try and make the comparison between video people working at 4K, etc. I'm not sure that the sample rate to uh, pixel count is a valid comparison because I would say that um, bit depth and pixel count, you know, 4K, HD, 4, you know, 1080p, then up to 4K, then up to 6K, 8K. That's more a, a, a more of a valid comparison between bit depth rather than sample rate. Sample rate, um, in theory, uh, we have a flat frequency response. In other words, the sound is not being modified um, within the constraints of our human hearing, even on a good day, you know, 20 hertz to 20k. Um, The only thing that, you know, you could say is happening right at the top end is if those filters, which have to be very, very steep they may be having an impact on the very high f- frequencies we can hear. Certainly, you know, so it's like, and and, and this, these are a number of comments that have come up, you know, thoughts that have come up in the comments uh, on the poll. Um, there's no doubt that if you are doing sound design work where you are um, slowing stuff down, recording at high sample rates so that effectively you slow it down, if you record at 96, you can slow it down by a factor of two, and effectively you're not losing any quality And if you do it at 192. And a lot of, certainly in, in the post world, uh, I think there is there is 
merit in there. And also in the post-world, we're seeing more and more sound effects being recorded at 96K. Um, that's pretty typical these days. But again, if we're m- using sound design techniques to manipulate those sound effects, having them at that higher sample rate has merit. Um, but I think in terms of orders of magnitude improvement improving the bit depth so going from 16 bit to to 24 bit or even up to 32 bit has a much more obvious and improved um improvement to the audio than these increases in in uh, in sample rate unless you're doing particular things to the audio so, so to get it straight, so what what you're saying, <laughs> if I follow you correctly, is yeah. that um, uh, is that taking the uh, comparing it to to uh, an image, mm-hmm. you're saying that you think that the uh, the pixel resolution of an image is more similar to the bit depth of an audio file. Yes. Than it is to, okay. Mm. Yes. It's an interesting one, just because um, certainly uh, when you start editing lower resolution images hmm. while increased pixel resolution is great if you're working on a if you're doing if you're changing say levels or something like that i mean just open up photoshop start pulling hmm. levels around and if you're working on a compressed image the first thing you're going to start to see is you're going to start to see blocking from jpeg compression yes and that's to do with that's to do with quantization of color depth hmm. for the compression art- artifacts so yeah, but you're fight, but you're working on a compressed file. Uh, you know, again, it's the one of the challenges because actually, video compression is way, way more severe than audio compression. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're, tip, yeah. you're talking, you know, throwing away ninety nine percent and keeping one percent. You know, the, it, rather than throwing away ninety uh, percent and keeping ten percent. You know, one one two eight k MP three. Basically, you're keeping ten percent of the data. You're throwing ninety percent away, whereas video compression, you're looking at throwing ninety nine percent and more away. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the, I mean that is a definite you know argument. We don't want to be working with MP threes and AACs well, no, not, in a post production environment. But I suppose what I was getting at was I was going that's a part of what gets thrown away is the is the color depth and yeah and and bit depth is lower for 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 images anyway but mm. then again the eyes less but you've got anyway that could really go because then you've got the yeah. difference between <laughs> between uh, intensity and color and yeah yeah chroma oh, yeah, and luma yeah. and all of that stuff so yeah i don't think we need to talk about that no way, no we? i think we will we will we, get go down serious <laughs> black holes and oh dear me you've no, given we, me a headache <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think I think we need to call uh, time yeah, yeah. on this Don't one. Don't talk about things when I'm here. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let's move along. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. Okay, if you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like uh, Skype, you know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. Even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We use Source Connect now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser. No software to install to get your free copy, to get your free account. 
follow the link in the podcast notes. Uh, so let's move on to our find of the week. And these are sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio Solutions. Our friends at RSPE are running a sale of Avid B-Stock items. They're open box items, but they're all in near perfect condition and carry a full warranty. This will include Avid products like an S3, a dock, Artist Mix, HDX card, HDIO, 16 by 16 analog. But please be aware, there are very limited quantities, and when they're gone, they're gone. If you want to find out what RSP have got, then click the special link in the podcast article. Okay, so find of the week. Uh, Julian, what's yours? Uh, mine was uh, Clevgrand Stark. Uh, Clevgrand, a company that make, uh, makes... They were app developers, I think, but they make some cool plugins, one of which was recently on as a Friday Free. That was free amp. Um, I was trying out Stark, which is a new amp sim, and uh, it was interesting. I was talking to the guys at Clevergrand about it, and I tried it, and um, and I was saying, yeah, I like it, but I'm finding kind of like, uh, yeah, it's, it's much better for clean stuff than it is for kind of high gain sounds. And refreshingly, they said, yeah, we know. And I went, oh, <laughs> you don't hear that often. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so yeah, um, uh, that was that was very refreshing. It is really good for that kind of sort of like clean to sort of slightly off clean stuff which is where my taste in guitar sounds lies and i thought it was i thought it was great fun actually so yeah that's mine okay uh dan what about you uh, i've got a sound effect for you see if you can Ooh. guess what my find of the week is oh that's oh that's a uh, that's percussion stuff that's a cabasa no it's oh. not but there you go. There's a free sample for you. No, it's not that at all. It's an aerosol can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's trashed our hearing. Yeah, and, and that's what I dropped earlier in the podcast recording. You said, "Is that something expensive?" No, not at all. Four quid off Amazon, I think. Is um, it compressed air? Yes, it is compressed air. Great um, stuff. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. And I've, I've had uh, a bit of a problem with my C24 over the last few months. Um, faders have been dying on me left, right, and centre. Mainly the centre ones where I've been sitting for the last eight years. <laughs> Did I tell you to buy that? Dan? Yes, you did, because I was I was starting to worry about. I was, I was going to credit you. That's okay. the next line um, yeah, yeah. for this. Uh, yeah, because I was going to set up a, a weekend aside to turn this C24 over and take the faders out, clean them one by one. I honestly thought there's a weekend coming up where I'm just going to lose my patience. But Julian said, why, why just keep it simple, use an aerosol? Oh, I wonder if that will work. So, yeah, gave oh, it a try. Thankfully, you didn't try a can of links down it first. So. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That'd do a different sort of links effect. No, no. Yeah, um, there's all sorts of jokes in there somewhere. But, oh, uh, my word, though. No, I did. Uh, I, I gave it a good blast out. And, yeah, the, the crap that came out of this. Mm. <sighs> oh, dear. But, yeah, no, um, Vegas mode, everything's working perfect again. So, lovely. Cheers for that, Julian. No and, problem. Uh, yeah, you've got yourself a free sample there. Excellent. Yeah. Good, on, good on a hot day as well, can of compressed air. Wasteful, yeah. but it works. But to, to, talking of uh, talking of clean faders, here we go. Back in the day. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Drink. Um, uh, yes, when I was uh, an engineer at commercial radio station here in Manchester, Piccadilly Radio, uh, this is, we're now talking uh, early 80s, just to give you a time frame. Um, this was long before smoking was banned in in inside and all the rest of it and usually what would happen is we'd get one of the presenters saying that the fader's a bit the what this fader's not moving very easily and you'd <laughs> go down and yeah and then you take the fader out uh great fun doing it when it's on air but hey it's neve desk you can do these you could do these sorts of things taking the fader out and basically emptying the fader of cigarette ash because basically the reason the fader wouldn't move is because the fader was full 
of cigarette ash. <laughs> so there we go. There's a little anecdote from back in the day. <laughs> so, Mike, what is your find of the week, though? Ah, my find of the week, uh, very interesting. Uh, been talking to Swiss engineer Daniel Detweiler, uh, has uh, invited Al Schmidt and uh, George Massenberg, uh, and he's invited them to come over to uh, Basel in uh, Switzerland to do a very, very special three-day learning event um, with uh, Daniel and Al and George. Uh, and it's happening very soon. It's May the 3rd to the 5th. So if you've got that weekend free and you can get yourself to Basel in uh, Switzerland then there is you know remember we remember james going you know talking endlessly should we say about uh, mixed with the masters well that's uh, that's al is part of mixed with the masters and then we've got the uh, legend that is uh, george massenberg uh, and these guys are all going to be in one space uh showing demonstrating with a real jazz band how to record uh, and how to mix um Daniel has an old Kadak uh, mixing console, which he's refurbished. It was the one that uh, Queen used to record uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and the like. Uh, so that's got some serious pedigree. So uh, if you can find your way to Basel, um, this would be something well worth investing in terms of uh, some very, very good training from some of the best people in the business all in the same room at the same time. So, yeah, that's my find of the week. Uh, and on that, uh, it's good night from me. It's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good night. <laughs>